Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome here. As you can see, today we are beginning a new series called Epic Story. We use the word epic these days to describe quite a lot. Advertisers will promote their movies as epic, and on occasion we agree with them. Uh, Sometimes we label a failure as an epic fail. If you surf every once in a while, you will have an epic ride. Here is how Webster defines the word epic. Very great or large, unusually difficult or impressive, or telling a story about a hero or about exciting events or adventures. Now, as you think about your life today, it may not feel very epic to you. Maybe ordinary is a better description for your life, or maybe, I hope not, but maybe epic fail. Now, the kind of epic that we are drawn to is the good kind, not the fail kind. But it's not enough for us to have an epic ride or to go to an epic movie. We really want to live an epic life. And that's why Webster defines epic in part as telling of a story. Because a story occurs over time. It's not just one moment. It's a series of moments. For us, it's not just about having one or two or even 40 separate epic moments or experiences that have no connection to each other other than that they're all epic. That's not good enough for us. And a story offers us a chance to string all of the moments of our life together, both the epic moments and the ordinary moments and the fail moments, into something that is larger than any one of those moments. So when it comes to living an epic story, we really have two options. Option number one is we write a story with our own lives that is large enough to be considered epic. The second option is to be a part of an epic story that is larger than any of us. And this series is about option number two. Only a few can pull off option number one and live a life that in the eyes of at least human history is considered to be epic. But even the great men and the great women of history find that over time that the stories fade or are forgotten or dismissed. And that's because... We were all created to be a part of a larger story, not just write the biggest possible story we can with our own lives. The themes of God's story, the larger story that we are created to be a part of, are found in the pages of the Bible. And so over the next nine weeks, we will be telling the story of the Bible, the major themes of God's epic story. And you'll find inside your program a list of the themes and the dates that we'll be covering those. These are also listed on the screen here. Now, for me personally, I I made a decision when I was fairly young to to follow Christ. But as I got older, I I encountered a a problem, and the problem was with the Bible. I didn't like the Bible. To be honest with you, I found it to be kind of boring. And then when I was 19, I sat down, and over a period of months, I read through the entire Bible for the first time. I'd never done it. I heard a lot of stories out of the Bible. I'd read different parts of the Bible, but I'd I'd never read the entire Bible. And it By the time I finished, I discovered that I had been viewing the Bible completely wrong. You see, I'd been thinking of the Bible kind of the same way you think of the DMV manual. You know, it's something that you need in order to pass a test. It's got a bunch of rules and regulations so that, you know, you know what to do on the road. But who sits down at night to read a good book and decides, you know what, I'm going to read some more of that DMV manual? (laughs) Nobody pulls out the DMV manual. Because it's not interesting. It's boring. It's just a list of rules. And that's the way I thought the Bible was. But when I read through the whole thing, I realized that it fundamentally is a story. Sure, there are 
truths in there that tell us what to do and what not to do, but they are embedded in story. So I'm looking forward to telling you the story, the overall themes of Scripture. Because what we really read, what we really are interested in, are stories. Here in America, we spend about $13 billion a year just in novels, both printed and electronic. We spend about, and it varies from year to year, but you know, right around now about $15 billion a year in going to the movies, seeing the stories on the screen. And the reason is because down deep inside, we all, we all wonder, if it is, is it possible at all for our days to add up to something that might be considered epic? And stories tell us that it, they can. Because one of the things you see in stories is ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And so as we hear these stories, even though many of them are fictitious, we, we're drawn to the hope that maybe we too can live an epic life. Now, the Bible is the real story containing the epic themes of life and what it really means to live an epic life. And so as we begin today, I, I want to step back before we start the story of the Bible and consider the, the three elements that are true of every story we consider to be epic. And the reason they are true is because they are true of God's epic story. And these three elements are essential for our life. Element number one is plot. Every epic story has a great plot. And the reason plots are so important is because the existence of a plot in real life gives us a reason to live, a why behind the details of our life. And we need a reason to live. We need a purpose. Years ago, I watched a movie called Paycheck. You may not remember this movie, but Ben Affleck was the uh, character, the main character in this movie. And the movie begins with Ben Affleck getting a package from an unknown source. He opens the package, dumps it on the table, and it's just 21 random items. Things like a paper clip and a set of sunglasses and a key and on and on it goes. And he, he looks at this, he looks at the sender, there's no name or address. And he tries to sort these things on the table, and they, they, they look like they're not connected at all. They're just random items. They really look like just a pile of junk. But then the plot of the movie begins to take off. And as you move through the movie, it turns out that every one of these single items are essential for his survival. They, all of these 21 items, like him, the main character, turns out they're part of a story. And because of that, there is a plot. And because there is a plot, there is a reason for everything that's happening in the movie. Nothing is wasted in a movie or in a story. You know, if you're watching a movie and you notice the camera zoom in on somebody kind of standing off to the side, what do you know? Oh, they're going to be part of the story. Because, you know, if, you, if they're mentioned, there's a reason. There's a plot that fits that particular detail into. Now, the presence of a plot is what turns seemingly random items and random events into an important part of a story. And a plot means that the things that you are reading or seeing have a place. That's very different than reading the DMV manual or reading a phone book. That's just a list of data. A story has a line, a plot, an arc to it. Now, it takes a great deal of thought and effort to write a story like that. I mean, I just imagine the writer of that movie 
you know, he did, didn't just do this, you know, in order. He probably had to go to the end and say, here's where I want it to end. And then he had to build the pieces and kind of storyboard it together and see how all the elements fit together. And it, it, it probably took hours and hours and hours and maybe even years sometimes to write really good stories. Because it takes a lot of thought to, to put all the details together in such a way that they all fit on the plot line. But that's a work of fiction. This is what God does with real life. Here's what we read in Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, not just 21 things, but in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That, that's quite a statement. Now, God does not write fiction. He deals in reality. And he has a purpose. And he calls us, which means he invites us to be a part of that purpose, part of that plot line. He invites us to fold our smaller purposes, our smaller plot lines into his larger plot. And those who decide, as it says here, to love him and say, yes, I want to be a part of the larger story, those who do that, they have every single thing in their lives woven together for their good. Now, that doesn't mean all of a sudden every single moment of their life is just amazingly good. What that means is every part of their life, the good parts, the bad parts, the ordinary parts, now are a part of something that's good. But not just good in general, good for them. All of the random parts of life are folded into God's larger story. Now, that's an amazing power that's really hard for us to wrap our minds around how God actually does that. It takes an amazing amount of power and wisdom to, to work everything in your life into a larger plan. No editing allowed. No, God doesn't, I mean, you may want to cut out chunks of your life, but God says, no, I'm going to use it all. Every, everything, the stuff that you wish you could just, that decade you wish you could just have again, no, I'm going to even use that. I'm going to use everything in the larger story. But as amazing as that is, I think what's most amazing is that God works this for our own good, it says. Not by making us now the center of the universe and the star of the story that everyone has to fit into. No. Just by being a part of the story, our lives are blessed in the process. Good is done to us. God is not inviting us to just be props, to be used in his larger story and then discarded. God says, no, if you become a part of my story and you live your life for this larger plot line, your own individual life is going to be blessed. It's going to turn out good for you. Again, that doesn't mean every day, every circumstance is good, but when you look back over it, you will see that your life is so much better because of this. It's for your good. Not just, you're not just sacrificed for the larger story. You are blessed by the larger story. Now, it turns out that's the same kind of story that we're trying to write for ourselves, a story where everything turns out good for us. The problem is we really lack the power to do that. I mean, we try but over and over again, our plots, our plans are overrun with something that is not good. Something that derails the good that we had intended for ourselves and maybe our family. Now, if it's a minor plot or a minor plan that gets run over, we get frustrated, we get angry. But if it's a major part of our plan, if it's a major plot line in the story we're trying to write for ourselves and, and it gets derailed and it gets rolled over, we're not just disappointed, we're devastated. We, we lose our place. And the reason is that we've lost the storyline that we thought we were on. And that's, that's incredibly disorienting for us. 
when, when we no longer understand what the pieces of our life are to fit into, when there's no longer any larger purpose, we just, we lose hope. This is really what happened to the disciples of Jesus in a part of the epic story when he was crucified. You know, the disciples had only met Jesus about three years before he was crucified. And I'm sure that all, every one of them could remember with great detail the day when their individual stories, their individual plot lines intersected the great story, the epic story. I would imagine that Matthew could remember with vivid detail Jesus coming up to him in his tax collecting booth on that one day and inviting him to leave it all and follow him. His life had changed completely from that point. Peter would never forget the day Jesus approached him by the Sea of Galilee and invited him to leave the whole fishing thing and follow him. Now, these moments, these days, I'm sure when they woke up on these days to them, it must have seemed just random, out of place. But now they could see, you know, this was a part of a larger story. They had been invited to be a part of the Messiah story, and every Jewish person of this age knew the Messiah story. Their lives now had a bigger purpose, and the last three years had been unlike anything they'd experienced before then. As they looked back, they could see how all the pieces, both large and small, were fitting into place now. But then the story, the Messiah story that they thought they were on, took a sudden turn off the plot line that they had expected. And their world literally fell apart at that moment. Why? Well, the plot line that they had been stringing all the events of the past three years on had now broken. It was gone. Kind of like a broken necklace with all the beads Everything was now lying on the floor, and there was nothing to connect the pieces of their life together. They had strung everything together on the expectation that Jesus was going to change the world politically, and he was going to get rid of Rome, and they were going to be a part of it. And the last three years were building up to that, and now he was dead. When he died, that plot line that they thought they were on broke. Now, it turns out they hadn't understood the epic story. They hadn't read the earlier portions of the story clear enough to understand that their expectations were not God's expectations. Their plot line was not God's plot line. And that's why they found their life in free fall. Now, we all have plot lines that we're trying to string the individual pieces and events and days of our life together. Some reason for us to get up in the morning. We have marriage plot lines and family plot lines. We have maybe academic plot lines or career plot lines, financial plot lines. We have personal comfort and happiness plot lines. How will we be comfortable? How will we be happy? And our life has meaning as long as the plot line, whichever one or ones we are stringing our days together, stays intact. But what happens when it breaks? What happens, let's say, maybe if our marriage falls apart or we lose our job or or our health, or a significant part of our money. It feels at that moment like, like it did for the disciples, like our world is falling apart, like all the beads are on the floor, and, and we don't know why should we get up the next day and keep working hard and doing something, because we don't know the purpose anymore. But at that moment, when our individual plot lines of the smaller stories we are writing for ourselves break and fall apart, it's at that moment that God is often inviting us and calling for us to be a part of his larger story. 
and to string our lives and the days of our lives and the details of those days onto his eternal plot line. Because that's a string that cannot be broken. Now, in order to do that, we need to say yes. And then we need to learn the epic story. So that we don't make the mistake that disciples did. And that it's very easy for us to make of thinking that the plot line we're on is God's plot line and we're signing God's name to what we really want. We need to know what God is really up to. So we need a plot. That's why a plot is a part of every epic story. It gives us a reason to live, a why for every day and every detail of every day. The second element of an epic story is drama. This gives us a reason to struggle. Last week, the fifth installment of the Pirates of the Caribbean came out, and I haven't uh, seen it yet. I don't know that I'll get a chance to go see it, but what interested me is um, what the critics had to say about it. Now, I know sometimes the critics can be overly critical, but their approval rating of this particular movie was only 27%. That's pretty low. The question was, why? Now, again, I haven't seen it, but just going from what the critics say, it wasn't that they were unimpressed with uh, the computer-generated graphics. Now, Disney spent $230 million on this movie. That's an epic amount of money. So why wasn't it an epic movie, or hasn't been yet? Well, what the critics say is the problem was the story, not the computer-generated graphics. They were critical of the story. And the common theme to all of the critics who didn't like the movie was that it was just way too predictable. My favorite comment was written by the film critic for the Arizona Republic. He says this, Ever ridden an amusement park ride once and it was really fun and exciting? And then you rode again and again, and it got less fun until finally you wondered why you liked it in the first place, and here we are. <laughs> I thought, well, that's a great description. Because <laughs> an amusement park ride, it's like, whoa, whoa. You know, but about the, the fifth or the 30th time, you're like, mm -hmm, I know what's happening. And this is the way this movie was. You see, what they're talking about is drama. Surprise is, is a key element in drama. If the stories are predictable, if we know what the characters are going to say next, or we know what's going to happen next, or we know how it's all going to happen, we just lose interest. Great stories are unpredictable. They're full of real struggle, not fake struggle. Real what is going to happen struggle. And God's story is full of this. The epic story is far from boring. It often looks very precarious. Like God's plan is falling apart. Like God is not doing what we think he should be doing. And when God does save people, the people that he saves are, are not tranquilized so that they, God can do his work and then wake them up when everything's all done. Now, this is one of the more interesting descriptions of what it's like to be saved by God in the middle of a struggle in the middle of life. Philippians 2, 12-13 describes it this way. Continue to work out your salvation. So God has rescued you. Now continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not with comfort and ease. With fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. God is working in you. And now the decision for you and I 
every day if we're going to be a part of God's greater plot line is will we take him serious? Will we fear him? And will we trust him in the middle of all the drama that's in our life and that's in our world? Now, that's, that's work. God's there to help us, but while God is working everything out for our good and working through us, we're not just sitting on an easy chair and cheering him on saying, go, go, go. No, we, we are in the story, not just watching it, not just reading it, living it. You and I are, are living on the page-turning edge of the story he is writing. The fear and the trembling is in part coming from the fact that we're living in the middle of the story. You see, God's story isn't over yet. We are somewhere in between the beginning of the story and the end of the story. Now, the Bible is complete, and all of the themes of the story have been described, but history continues to go on. God hasn't ended history. There will be a time when he does, but that hasn't happened yet. God will put a period on human history, and then we will see how good, and then we will see how great he is. But now we are in that dramatic part of the story, the oh no part of the story, the struggle part, the long part. Beginnings and endings, they happen just like that. They're quick. But it's in the long middle where the story is told and the uncertainty occurs. You see, beginnings of stories are full of hope. And endings of stories are full of answers. It could be a good answer or a bad answer, but at least we know how it ends. But in between is where all of life is lived. So you and I, we are in the middle somewhere. We're in between the beginning and end of the different parts of our own life and the larger story. We're somewhere in the middle of our marriage if we're married, between the beginning and the end of our marriage. And the question is, how is your marriage going to end? Well, you may have some goals and intentions you're working towards, but you don't know. Is it going to end in divorce or is it going to end in death? If it ends in death, which one will go first? We just don't know. You're somewhere in the middle in raising children, if you have children. You know, you're in the preschool stage. You're in the school stage. You're in the dating stage. You're in the grandparent stage. Every one of those stages has unanswered questions. I used to think that, oh, if I could finally get to the grandparent stage, whew, that would be no more fear and trembling. Oh, no. There's just more to be afraid and more to tremble about, more to trust God with and more to take him serious about. Just living, there's no getting away from the fact that you're in the middle. You're somewhere in the middle financially. You're in the middle of a lease. You're in the middle of a mortgage. You're in the middle of a career. You're in the middle of retirement. I don't know. But you're in the middle somewhere. And what that means is no matter how much resources you have, you have financial questions, financial goals that you honestly just don't know the answers to yet. You don't know what's going to happen. The work of life, of God saving us, is to try and make sense of this life full of all of its unanswered questions and unknown endings, especially in the face of struggle. The question we have is this, is there a larger beginning and a larger end into which all of our smaller beginnings and smaller ends can fit into and connect to? Or are we just left alone to struggle on our own? 
You know, are we just a collection of individual stories from great to tragic? Or is there really a larger story that's being written that, that is big enough that can include or include both great and tragic parts into its pages? That's the epic story. It's big enough for you. It's big enough for me. You see, if, there, if, if there's nothing larger than just our own story, then at the point of struggle, we have less reason to struggle and more reason to give up because our plot lines keep breaking. The epic story continues. And the, the question we have to face every day and usually many parts of every day is, why are we living? What is our purpose? Why are we struggling? Is there something bigger for us to be a part of? And that brings us to element number three of the epic story. Every epic story has a hero. And a hero gives us a reason to wait. The word hero is a Greek word, and it means literally to protect and to serve. You've probably heard that phrase before. It's what you see often on the side of police cars. It's why we refer to those who are in law enforcement or who are firefighters, um, who serve in the military, we often refer to them as heroes. And that's, that's an accurate description of what they do. They protect us from the evil and the harm in this world, oftentimes with their own lives. But, you know, for all of their courage and all of their service, they can't save us from everything. And that's why I think we are drawn to the superheroes of fiction. You know, this is a summer movie season, and there's going to be a lot of superhero movies, like there is every summer. And the reason is not necessarily because there's a whole lot of new stuff to say about the superheroes. There's some. But the main reason is people keep going. The theaters keep filling. We want to know more about Thor and more about Spider-Man and more about Iron Man. Now, I don't know anybody that thinks Thor or Spider-Man or Iron Man are real heroes. We know they're not. But we are drawn to the stories. Because we know that we need someone with more power than just a normal person. With out-of-this-world power, we need someone like that who can really protect us and really save us. We know it's not Thor. We know it's not Spider-Man. We know it's not Iron Man. But we love that story, and we love those stories. And it turns out we're right. We do need someone with out-of-this-world power. The stories that we imagine, that we love, point to the true story. Here's what the true story says. Romans 5, 6, you see it just the right time when we were still powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right time. The idea was the timing was perfect. Perfect in the flow of all of history. Perfect in your life if you've decided to allow Jesus to save you. What is the right time? When is the perfect time? Well, when we were powerless. It's the, oh no, it's too late moment that the hero comes through. Epic stories wait until it looks like it's too late. That's, that's part of what epic stories are. Then, when all hope is lost, the hero shows up, saves the day, and our hearts swell. Why? 
Why wait? Well, it's because there's more glory for the hero in that story. You know, if you were to write a movie to glorify a hero, what would the plot line look? If you wanted to to magnify how great the hero and how good the hero is, would you have the hero continually winning from the beginning to the end, just one arc that just continually gets more and more amazing? No. What you would do is you would make it look as if evil won. And then with everyone on the edge of their seat, the hero would arrive. Those are the stories that people flock to and read. This is the kind of story that God is writing with human history, the real story. It looks like, it looks like he's lost. And this is, this is only going to keep building in, in human history. I mean, there's good stuff going on, but as you look at the flow of history over and over again, it just looks like God is lost. We see evil just popping up over and over again. It popped up in London again yesterday. And it just looks like, oh, no, what's going on in this world? And it'll continue to look bad until the final act when Jesus shows up to save the day. Now, what this means for us individually, for those of us who have decided to string the beads of our life onto this plot line, the pieces of our life onto this plot line, what that means is we're going to have to wait sometimes. We not only have to wait for the hero to show up in all of human history, we often have to wait for the hero to show up in our life, personally. It will almost always be later than we'd like. I, can, I just can't remember a time in my life where God has come through in some way and helped me, and I thought, wow, that was early. <laughs> it's almost always, oh, finally. I've been asking for help, and I've been confused about this, and I've been needing insight, and I've been needing help, and after days or weeks or months or sometimes years, the hero showed up. God did something. And there's some things that I'm still praying about and still don't know about. It will be after. The saving will be after. We have given up the silly notion of saving ourselves. Because that's our first preference. Let's just save ourselves. I got this. God says, all right, put on your little cape. Be your own superhero. Let me know when you've taken a dive off the coffee table and broken your lip, and I'll come pick you up. You see, until that point, until we are powerless, until we realize we are powerless, until our arrogance diminishes, we are honestly, we're the hero of our much smaller story. We don't want to be a part of a larger story. We're trying to make a big story ourselves. So God will wait until it's very clear to us that we are powerless, because only then are we ready for the real hero. Before that point, before we admit that we are powerless, the theme of our life is most often about the attempt to bring glory to ourselves. But after that point, we're honest, and it's mostly about God's glory, not ours. I think the most surprising part of the epic story that we are drawn to, the stories that we are drawn to, is that they not only present a hero, but they, the really popular ones, present a dying hero. Why? I mean, couldn't a hero just rescue people without dying? Yeah, there's movies and stories about that, but the, boy, the ones that get the biggest watch and the biggest read, the hero dies. 
the truth is we won't accept a hero who won't die for others. We just seem to know that that's what it's going to take. Our heart resonates with the epic story. And so, when it comes to the story of Camelot, King Arthur has to die in the end to save Camelot. When it comes to the movie Saving Private Ryan, Commander Miller has to die to save Private Ryan. When it comes to the story of Middle Earth and the Lord of the Rings, Gandalf has to die to to drag that dark demon into the depths of Middle Earth and save it. I still remember reading this story to my kids when they were 10 and 11. We'd been reading about 30 minutes a night, and we got to the end of book two where Gandalf dies. And our our two kids, they just couldn't believe it. They kept saying, no, he didn't die, Daddy. You read it wrong. Did he really die? Is he really, really dead? Yeah, he's, he died. No. And I knew at that point, okay, we're going to have to go on to book three. We, used, we took a break, but we're, we're going to go right on to book three so you can read about how Gandalf the Gray comes back as Gandalf the White. We love those stories. Our hearts are drawn to those stories. Our emotions well up because we know that our only hope is a hero who loves us enough to die for us. And we're right. That's the centerpiece of God's story. Spoiler alert. It's the story written by the original storyteller of a real hero who did, in fact, give up his life to save us. Jesus Christ, who is the hero behind every hero story, the real hero. The reason we are drawn to stories is because we all need a reason to live, we all need a reason to struggle, and we all need a reason to be patient and wait in the middle of the struggle. And in order to have a reason to live, we've got to be a part of a story with a plot that is big enough to include the pieces of our life when all of our individual plans fall apart. If your story is the biggest story you're a part of, you're in great danger of looking at the beads of your life on the floor. You need a bigger story. And to keep us from giving up when we struggle, we need to be a part of a story that has a large enough of a dramatic arc to it that's, that's able to include all of the highs and all the lows of our life. Only God's epic story has enough dramatic arc for that. And in order to be patient in the face of uncertainty, we need to be part of a story where the hero shows up later than we would like, but always just in time. We need an epic story. A story that is larger than one that we could ever imagine or one that we could ever write. A real story that helps us make sense of the world that we see and the problems that we have. You know, if you look at all of the other religions of this world and the books that started those religions, none of those books are stories. They're all DMV manuals. Read them for yourself. You'll see there's no story in them. There's occasional story, but it's just statements. What's unique about the Bible is it's a story. What's unique about us is we are drawn to story. We seem to know, written into the very depths of our soul that we're part of a story. 
we're right. This life to us often looks like the backside of a tapestry. I don't know if you ever looked at the backside or the front side of a tapestry. Here's a picture that shows the difference. Over here on this left side is the backside, and that's the front side of the same tapestry. The backside of the tapestry looks just like a tangled mess of yarn. It seems random. It, it's got color to it, but just it makes no sense. There's no pattern. But if you turn it over, like you can see here, and you see it from the front side, you can see the beautiful design that was intended from the artist. Right now, we are living on the backside. This world is a tangled mess of some good and some bad and pretty colors. And, but it's, it's really hard from our perspective to look out at our lives, to look out in our world and say, oh, yeah, this makes sense. I, I, it's, I understand. I mean, there's some good parts, but then there's some awful parts. We lack the perspective to make sense of, of our life, much less our world. The Bible gives us the plan the pattern, the plot. It's a glimpse from the other side, from God's side. Now, he's involved on both sides, but he speaks to us from the other side and tells us, I'm, I'm painting something that, that's amazing. And as we glimpse from the other side, we have a reason to live on the tangled side. We have a reason to struggle on the gnarled side. And we have a reason to wait on the what is going on side. So I can't wait to tell you this epic story. I love the Bible. There's nothing like it. It's, I'm convinced it's from God. I've decided to say yes to the invitation that God has given me and is giving you to love him and to live my life for his plot. So I invite you to join us as we consider the epic story of God and look at how we might respond to his call and live our lives within the larger framework of the epic story. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for a glimpse from the beautiful side, from the side where all the pieces fit into something good. Whether we look at the pieces of our life or we look at the pieces of our world, it, 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 on our own, we, we can't see a larger purpose. We can't see a larger plot. And if you hadn't told us the story, we would be stuck trying to live the epic story in our own skin and in our own time. And I thank you that in your goodness and in your love, you have invited us not to be props and stage pieces on your larger story, but to be really important, integral pieces of the story and, and to bless us as we are part of it. I pray that you'd give us insight as we go through your story. You would help us see our story in the light of your story and how the beads and the days and the details of our life fit into the larger story. We ask for your help on this, and Jesus, we thank you for dying for us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our hero. Amen.